Today we are in, uh, we're very near the end of the Ezekiel series, right? We're very near the end and nothing, none of this could have been planned. None of this could have been planned. But today we are talking about a ruler coming in to the temple. <laughs> a new ruler, the new, new person to come in and start governing uh, um, the people of God, right? And then suddenly Malaysia got this thing and we're all crying to God, you know, for his rule and his righteous uh, governance to be upon Malaysia. And, and today we are on chapters 44, 5, 6, 7 on the prince. There is a lot going on here and I just hope I can distill out some very salient things about this character called the prince, okay, who shows up without any announcement in chapter 44, right? Let's go. Let, 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 let's get into the text. Let's read it. Uh, Ezekiel 40, it says here 43. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I might have done the slide wrong. I... I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay, I'm momentarily kind of like, boom, uh, my brain has checked out. Okay, let me read verse 1. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary which faces east. Just going to pause there for a moment. You guys remember last week when I was sharing with you about the temple, right? And then um, uh, the angel brings uh, Ezekiel through the eastern gate. And then he takes him through the whole tour of the temple. And then at the end of the tour, he brings him back to the eastern gateway. The glory of God comes. The glory of God comes through the east gate and fills the whole temple. Now, let me read for you. Okay, it is 44. It is 44, right? My wife just showed me the Bible. It's 44. Okay, so he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary which faces east and it was shut. Okay, the eastern gate now is shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall remain shut. It shall not be opened and no one shall enter by it for the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it. So let's pause one more moment there and let's see. Why is this gate shut? Because remember from last week, the glory of God came through the eastern gate. Therefore, no one else can use this gate. You guys see this? Because the glory of God has used the eastern gate, no one else can use this east gate. But somebody can use the east gate. Let's take a look. Therefore, it shall remain shut. Verse, verse 3, only the prince may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. Wait, wait, wait. wait did I miss something? I think he introduced a new character. <laughs> verse 3 says, only the prince may sit in it. You know, um, what's going on here, right? Ezekiel has introduced a new character, okay? And if you are reading this like a novel, I guarantee you at this moment, you'll be flipping to the previous page and you go like, did I miss something? Did he introduce a prince? You know, because he's talking about a prince here as if he's already introduced the prince, right? And you're going to scan through the previous chapters and you're not going to find any mention of the prince prior to this. This is an introduction of a new uh, um, protagonist. The prince, Okay. We, there's no saying prince of what, prince from where, there's no context. He just suddenly starts mentioning as if he's been talking about him. Only the prince may sit in the eastern gate. So you have to know this. Their gate is not like our gate. Our gate is like 2D, right? It's just like tebal ni macam ini only, okay? Our gate is tebal ni macam ini, right? Okay? And so you can't sit in the gate space, okay? I mean, you can kind of stand there and occupy the gateway. You could, but their gate was like, you literally have a structure, okay? You have a structure and there is a gate within the structure. So you can actually stand in there and it's sheltered on, okay? It's a little bit like that. And so it says here that the prince may sit in the eastern gate. Other people can't even go, go like it be in that space, but the prince can be in that space. In that space where the Lord's glory itself passed through, the prince sits in that space to what? Eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gate and shall go out by the same way. You know, this is quite strange. Essentially, okay, God is saying to, to Ezekiel, the prince can sit in the gateway and eat bread there. Okay, now, eating bread, I don't know what it references for you. For me, it reminds me of two things. Going behind us to Moses, you know, manna from heaven, Man shall not live, you know, by bread alone, but by every word 
that comes from the mouth of God, right? So I think of bread and I remember. I'm not saying there's a link. I'm just saying I remember. But what else does it remind you of? It reminds me forward. It reminds me forward of a Messiah who came and then broke bread with his disciples. It reminds me of Jesus. It reminds me of the communion, right? But is this Prince the Messiah? I'm just going to come out and say, overwhelmingly, the evidence will show yes. Okay, but I'm going to show it to you. But if it does, now, about some people say that it's not the Messiah because there are some areas that one, maybe one difficult area to say that, oh, is it the Messiah? You know, maybe the prince is like, like a surrogate of the Messiah. And some people say, yes, it's very obvious the Messiah. Okay, so I'm going to show you the text. I'm going to show you why I think it is the Messiah or rather that given the weight of evidence, it points towards the Messiah. But let's not get hung up on that because I really ultimately want to show you Jesus. So whether you can hook Jesus onto this prince or you can't hook Jesus onto this prince, I want you to see that some of the pictures that we see in the prince are, can, can cause us to remember some of the realities about Jesus. And let's hang on to Jesus, okay? The author and perfecter of our faith. Let's hang on to Jesus uh, um, and let's see how that power of, of, of being able to see some pictures of Jesus uh, can give us strength for today, all right? So what do I want to show you today about the prince? Four things about the prince. And then one thing about us, the priests, right? We are a, we are a royal priesthood, right? So let, let's look at it. Number one, the prince occupies the gateway. Number two, he transacts on our behalf. Number three, the prince is one together with the people. Number four, the prince's sons inherit an eternal gift. That includes daughters, okay? It's just a wording, it says sons, but in, sons and daughters inherit an eternal gift. And number five, the prince is looking for a certain kind of priest. He's not just looking for any kind of royal priesthood, he's looking for Zadok type priests, right? And you're like, who's this Zadok? What's it? Why am I hearing this Zadok thing? Hang in there. We'll get there. Okay, number one, the prince occupies the gateway. Let's see what Ezekiel says about this, okay? It says in the verse that we just read, ah, I got the right chapter here now, Ezekiel 44. Thanks, Fergus. Okay, the, only the prince may sit in it, right? Okay, we are highlighted in green. We just read it. And eat bread before the Lord. And if you look further down to Ezekiel 46, okay, it says that, um, Thus says the Lord God, the gate of the inner court. You see, just now one was the outer gate of the sanctuary. Now in Ezekiel 46, it is the gate of the inner court. So it's not the same eastern gate. There is the first eastern gate that gets you into the outer court. And then there is another eastern gate that takes you into the inner court. And in both occasions, the prince sits in the gateway. Why? We see here with the inner court, going from outer court to inner court, okay? Verse 2, the prince shall enter by the vestibule of the gate from outside and shall sit, shall take his stand by the post of the gate. He's standing as the gateway. The priest shall offer his burnt offering and peace offerings and he shall worship at the threshold of the gate. He stands there in the place separating, first separating the outside of the temple from the outer courts of the temple. Now he stands in the transition space between the outer courts and the inner courts of the temple. What picture does this show us of? We see, if you can look at the next slide, we're going to see that this picture, you remember earlier this year I preached and shared with you about Jesus being the gate, right? Jesus is the gate. He's the gate of the sheep. Right? He's the gate of the sheep and, and, and because he's the gate of the sheep, he is that transition point between the pen and the pasture land. Right? So you're out there roaming, out there feeding and when you want to come home and be safe, you come home and you pass through Jesus, the gate. Right? And he is the legitimate access to a home. And not just that, but he is also a filter. As a gate, he filters out that which cannot come in. But he is also a funnel. He creates a queue and then they all have a focal point and everybody comes in through Jesus. Now, what do we see of the prince that resembles so much Jesus saying, I am the gate of the sheep? Let's look at this. Now, at the next slide, you're going to see 
the prince at the gate represents the transition point between the temple and the outside. So the outside is the space of the common, of the common things, of the common man, of the common everything, right? And then the transition place is the prince. And when you pass through the prince, you access that which is holy. Because of this, not just anybody in any or any alang-alang way can just simply access that which is holy. You have to pass through the right and legitimate access point, right? It separates the natural world from the supernatural world. It separates the, the world of carnality with the world of the spirit. It separates that outside space, which is part of all our daily activities, which includes all our daily sins, with a place where we enter to find atonement. What else connects sinful people from atonement? Then King Jesus dying on the cross, building a bridge between the Father and creation so that all of us can become acceptable in the sight of God other than Jesus who is the acceptable sacrifice, the propitiation so that after God burns his wrath on sin, we are atoned for. We have been atoned for and now we can enter the holy place. Now we can access supernatural things in a legitimate way, right? By the way, there are people accessing supernatural things in a totally illegitimate way. It's called witchcraft. It's called, it's called the dark arts, you know. We don't want to touch that, you know, because that's not a legitimate type of supernatural power for us to access. But through the gate of Jesus, we access God's territory. And outside, outside is all territory, terrain that God has said, man, go, go and tame this land, right? But within this space in the temple, it is the intersection of God on earth. And when we access this, it is the accessing of spiritual, supernatural territory that God is here. And it is Jesus, because Jesus' name is what? Emmanuel, God with us now every day he terrains with us right he, he tabernacles with us we covered this last week so i just want to show 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 you that now how does this help us in our daily living my friends as we navigate what it's like to move about in our lives as we navigate what it's like to, 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 be, to be sons and daughters of God in Malaysia, I want to encourage us that you and I have access to a power of God for redemptive purposes, for healing purposes, for supernatural purposes, in a way that no political activist, that in a way that no commentator in the press, in a way that no, uh, uh, um, that no natural political engagement is able to do. We have the ability to war against the powers of darkness that are using earthly situations in order to bring about disaster, panic, and, and, and distress, right? So, so remember that it is never just an earthly battle. For, guys, let's, let's, let's orient our hearts correctly. All our neighbours on the Amno side, all our neighbours on the Bersatu side, all our neighbours on the past side, they are not the enemy. They are not the enemy. They are fellow Malaysians. Understand, we are, they are fellow Malaysians. The enemy sometimes uses people, but guess what? Let's not be, have that spiritual uh, um, uh, 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 pride to think that the enemy also doesn't sometimes use us. He can use us also. He can use us and fill us with all kinds of arrogance and then, hey, guess what? Guess what? You want to trace back some 30, 40 years? The enemy also used some of, some, some of the pembangkang to go onto the streets and celebrate and, and, and inflict wounds that have lasted for 40 years, right? So let's not, let, let's not think about the battle as a physical battle like ABC, your pembangkang, uh, uh, EFG, you guys are what, government, you know, and then like it's, like it's like A versus B and all that. I mean, and then we end up, you know, in, in looking, having our eyes looking at the wrong thing. My friends, it is a spiritual battle as well as a physical one. That's why in Galatians 6, 
Paul exhorts us to put on the full armor of God. And the full armor of God means that we are armed in a spiritual and physical way. It is a hybrid battle. It is always a hybrid battle. And so, let us gird ourselves with the full armor of God, transacting through Jesus Christ, who is our gate, and accessing the legitimate supernatural power, which is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, so that when we go out into a Malaysia to make a difference, we can really make a difference as God would have it. Amen? Amen? Let's move on, right? The prince, is a tran he transacts on our behalf. Okay, and this is related to the first one because he is a go-between. And in the first one where I showed you how he is the gate, okay, as Jesus is the gate, he is a transition, the go-between between territory and territory. Here, I want to show you that he is the transactor and he is actually the, the, the sacrifice transacted at the same time. Okay, which kind of like blows our brains because like, oh wait, I thought you are the transactor, right? You are the one who's doing the deal. Okay, he's like the middle man. But at the same time, he's not just the one doing the deal, he is also the deal. Okay? I'll be like, oh, what, what? Let's read the text. It's okay. We'll take a look at it. Let's read the text. Ezekiel 45. And all the people of the land shall be obliged to give this offering to the prince in Israel. So when you've got an offering, you bring your offering, you're supposed to give that offering to the prince in Israel. Okay, this is the prince, right? Okay, you give it to him and it shall be the prince's duty to furnish the burnt offering, grain offering, drink offering at the feasts, the new moons and the Sabbaths, which means that he takes your offering and then he brings it and then he shall provide the sin offering, grain offering, burnt offering, peace offering to make atonement on behalf. See that word, on behalf, on behalf as a stand-in on behalf of the people of Israel, on the house of Israel. What is this a picture of? Clearly, this is a picture of a priest, okay, of a priest, not just a priest. Now, interesting, huh? the prince, prince is like a royal uh, 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 um, uh, position, right? It's a, it's a royal familial position. But this prince is also a priest. In fact, he's acting like a high priest because he's, he's doing all this for the entire nation. There is a national element to his atonement, right? To the atonement that he's doing. So, where do we see this in the New Testament? It is Jesus. Again, it is Jesus, right? He takes our sins. We offer it to him. We come before him and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, Right? When we say the sinner's prayer, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. You know, I confess that I am a sinner. You know, take my sin from me. That's exactly, we are doing exactly what is described in 45 verse 16. We are offering to him all our sins. And he takes them on. He brings them to the Father on his own flesh. And then the Father burns it up. So that Romans chapter 8, I believe it's verse 4, says that, that what, the, what the, the law could not do in that it was weakened by sinful flesh, God, Jesus, God did by sending Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. And through that, He condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus. So the condemnation of sin took place on the physical body of Jesus. That's what make atonement on behalf means. We look at Ezekiel 45, and if you look at the verse 17, at the bottom, at the very bottom of your screen right now, it says, to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel. The priests of old would make atonement by the sacrifice of bulls and, and, and whatnot. But the ultimate true sacrifice was Jesus laying his body down so that it could be a propitiation, so it could be the acceptable offering to assuage the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God on sin. That's Jesus. So every time you see this, I want you to see, it's interesting, you have to see Jesus as playing two parts of this metaphor. He plays two parts, okay? So I want to show you. He is the priest who receives and he is the priest who offers. That's one role, one part of the metaphor. He is also the bull. He is also the goat. 
He is also the sheep. He is also the pigeon. He is always also, just not just the priest, but also the sacrifice that the priest offers. So he plays two roles. And if you're a writer, you know like, wow, you generally don't want to have metaphors with two different meanings at the same place because it's very unclear. But I want to share with you, there are some people who say this can't be the priest because, because if you click the next slide, some people say, cannot be this cannot be Jesus because in verse 22 it says on that day the prince shall offer, provide for himself so that's the difficult part for himself the prince shall offer for himself and all the people of the land a young bull for a sin offering and it is it will be a sharp reader among you who can say ah that might be a problem because Jesus never sinned so why would Jesus need to offer a bull for himself since he himself never sinned. I admit that this is a difficult one to navigate. And I've been reading all the different scholars, you know, uh, the people who say it is a Messiah, and then all their arguments, and it's difficult to deal with this. And I've been reading uh, um, 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 the stuff that all the scholars who say it is not the Messiah, but it's difficult for them to deal with all the rest of the other things, which is a very obvious pattern of the Messiah. So, I let y'all, I'm not going to say I let y'all decide, okay? Um, but to some extent, I have to let y'all decide. But I want to help you understand how I personally have worked it through. And this is how I've worked it through, okay? This situation happens in Passover. Now, you need to know that at Passover, they, they sacrifice a lamb, okay? And then they eat that cedar meal, right? That lamb represents Jesus. I'm going to ask you a question. When Jesus partakes of Passover, does he eat the lamb? Yes, ma. Obviously, he, he, I think he's a normal Jewish guy, right? He's for like 30 over years, he's been taking Passover. Every Passover, he eats the lamb. Why does Jesus need to eat the lamb? He doesn't need to eat the lamb. He is the lamb, right? He doesn't need to eat the lamb. He doesn't need to partake of that symbolism of partaking of the lamb upon his body so that, you know, in some way, he, he is sheltered from the plague in Egypt, right? Something like that. So Jesus doesn't need to eat the lamb, but he eats the lamb because he is one of the people and he does it in, in, in the spirit of being like any other Jewish man. In his humanity, he partakes of the lamb at Passover. I'll give you another example. Jesus walks into Jordan and then he gets himself baptized by John the Baptist. Does Jesus need to be baptized? No, ma. Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the co-eternal, you know, son of God. You know, he doesn't need to be baptized. But he gets himself baptized anyway. Why? He says this is to fulfill all righteousness. So that in that, he gives an example for all future generations for what you ought to do, right? So you can't say that, wow, you know, um, Jesus didn't do, ma, so maybe I don't need to do, right? He does it. Not for himself, not that he needs baptism. He does it as a role model for everybody else so that everybody can say, if Jesus done it, I'll do it as well. So, personally, when I've worked with this difficult text, it is a difficult portion because it, your whole understanding is the Prince, the Messiah, will probably hinge on this verse 22, right? How I've worked it out is that I believe that it is, I've seen other places where Jesus does things like things that normal Christians would have to do, even though he doesn't have to do it himself, he does it to lead us, to give us a picture to role model for. And to me, this is to me, it is the prince still represents the Messiah, even though he offers a bull sin offering for himself. It is as a stand-in for future people to say, I need an offering for me. If you look further down in verse 23, it starts talking about spotless goats. And that again is a picture that the sacrifice is Jesus. I want to show you two places in the New Testament that shows you that Jesus is both the priest and the lamb at the same time. Hebrews 4 says, Since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. He is high priest. The high priest offers sacrifice. But Jesus is also the sacrificial lamb. John chapter 1, right? Uh, John the Baptist says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So if we were to think back at 45 verse 22, how I read it is that 
when Jesus offers a bull as a sin offering, he is both the priest making that offering, but he is also the bull who is being offered. There are enough biblical texts to support that he is both high priest and lamb at the same time. So that's how I've worked it out. I encourage you, if you're a bit of a nerd, you can go back and go comb through your Bible and find enough to support it. But I want you to know, even if you can't find enough, and 22 is like, a, okay, I can't, you know, I just can't. The prince is not the Messiah. He's like, he's like pseudo-Messiah, maybe a, 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 um, given authority by the Messiah. It's okay. All the pictures that point towards Messiah can remind you of Messiah. And I feel that's good enough as well. Let's move on. Let's move on. All right. The prince is one with the people. And one of the reasons why I feel that this is so important for us to see is that, is that it's actually it's, it's linking to the previous one, okay? Uh, um, it's linking to the previous one. Why Jesus goes for baptism is because he goes into the waters of baptism as the first among all as the firstborn among many, many sons. And he goes in and out of those waters of baptism as one among all the future brothers and sisters who will themselves go through baptism. That's why he does it, for identification. So we can identify with him. It's in, it's in Romans chapter 5, 5, yeah, baptism, uh, it's 5. Um, it's, it's there, go, go read it, right? Um, it's for identification, oneness, so that we can all say that Jesus was fully human and I can identify with him because he lowered himself, left his heavenly throne, okay, and, and condescended, right? Not in a bad way, but came down to our level, okay, and, and died a humble death, lived the life of a servant, right? This is Ephesians 2. Lived the life of a servant, a humble life of a servant, and went to a humble death of a criminal on a cross. And because of that, he's been exalted, given the name above every name, right? So, you see Jesus coming down to the level of human to live like us, to serve like us. Actually, he served even lower than us. Huh? Actually, we don't wash the feet, he washed the feet, right? Okay? He lived like us, served like us, died like a criminal to show us that his full range of his humanity, that every single thing we experience, he goes through it as well. Let's see the same picture in Ezekiel. Let's see this picture in Ezekiel. When the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed feast, now the crowds, the rakyat come to the temple. He who enters by the north gate to worship shall go out through the south gate. Right? And he who enters by the south gate, nothing to do with England football. <laughs> he who enters through the south gate, shall go out through the north gate. By the way, this is a picture that entering the temple and having an encounter with the Lord means that you are transformed and you don't go back the same way you came. Okay? It's just a metaphor. It's a brilliant metaphor. Okay? And I wish our church had two big entrances so we could do that as well. But we don't. We have one big entrance okay, where the entrance of the food court is and then we have an, an escape exit door, a fire exit at the back that leads you into the loading bay. And if I release 100 people into the loading bay, um, I, think, I think our friends from Marseille are going are gonna to score me. Okay? So, so we can't do this in this era. But it's beautiful. You enter church from the north gate, you exit from the south gate. As if to say, you come in one way, you go out another way. And the encounter with God transforms you. You came in one way, you go out a different way. Okay? That's just an extra picture I want to give you. Okay? Now, I, and I love it. Okay? But let me continue reading. No one shall return by way of the gate by which he entered, but each shall go out straight ahead. Verse 10. When they enter, the priest shall enter with them. And when they go out, the priest shall go out. Sorry, the prince, right? He, the he there is the prince, right? He shall go out. Now see this, my friends. The, 
But I thought the prince occupies the eastern gate, right? He sits in the east gate and eats his bread. He sits in the east gate, offers a burnt offerings and worships, right? So I thought the east gate is his and then the north and south gate is everybody. Lah. Rakyat use that one and then VIP use the eastern gate, ma, right? Right? No, no. VIP uses the eastern gate, but when VIP is with the rakyat, VIP enters through the gate with the rakyat. He goes out from the gate with the rakyat. He doesn't let the rakyat go in by themselves. He goes in with them. He doesn't let the rakyat go out by himself or he doesn't take a walk by himself. He goes out with the rakyat. In other words, in other words, he fully is embedded into the fabric of the people. The population have him among them. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. The prince is with the people. He is one of the people. He suffers with the people. He praises with the people. He enters with the people. He leaves with the people. Where do we see this? In two places in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 2 and chapter 4. Chapter 2, look at the light green highlights. He, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect corresponding verse in chapter 4, but he is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet was without sin. Jesus is fully human. In the same way, we can, we, as we are human, we can come before him and cry and seek him and plead and pray. And if you are tempted, he's been tempted in the same way. And if he found a way out, he can give you a way out. This Jesus is fully human. He's not a superhuman. He's not a superhero. You know, uh, um, I know around the early 2000s, starting with the first Spider-Man movie, you know, they started to make all the superheroes have to be very human very human side uh, 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 the, and, and, and I think I think the most emo human one um, was Zack Snyder's Superman right he was like oh perpetually perpetually moping about his calling to be Superman you know <laughs> and I think that was I think it started with the Five for Fighting song right I don't learn to fly right remember that song right I'm more than a bird I'm more than a plane with a silly red sheet. <laughs> I don't know. I forget the song, right? But the idea is that that people started to look at the superheroes of our day, the stories of our day, and look at the superheroes and say, I can't reach these guys. They are too far. Like Superman is too super, right? I, I, I can't identify with, with superheroes because they're just too lofty, too far. They do things that I can't do. And I feel like I cannot connect with this kind of heroes. I just can't. And so and so the filmmakers and the songwriters and everybody just started to, to, to look at some of these superheroes and bring out a human side of them. And, 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 they, and they brought it out until, until Super, Super, Superman was perpetually like, I hate my life, you know. <laughs> Zack Snyder, Superman. Never mind, a lot of years have passed since then. Now, what does it mean for us to worship a, a, a God hero who isn't just a hero, but to worship a King Jesus who became fully man? Fully man, it means verse 18 of Hebrews 2, for because he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And in, in the corresponding verse in, in, in chapter 4, so that now with confidence we can draw near to the throne of grace. Friends, if you are under any kind of pressure, know that Jesus has gone through that same kind of pressure and you can turn to Him. If you are experiencing a, a sense of despair because you see COVID or whatever it is, right? Know that Jesus has experienced that kind of despair. And maybe that despair was in Gethsemane. Maybe that despair was there throughout His ministry. Every time, every time He looked over at Jerusalem and He wept and He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, a city that continues to kill its prophets. How much would I long to come and smother you like a mother hen would gather her chicks around her wings, right? And maybe we cry that way. And maybe we do it because Jesus has done it before. And whatever is inside us, He shares that same heart. He shares those same tears. And you don't have to cry alone. You don't have to weep alone. You don't have to suffer alone. And if you know someone who is struggling uh, uh, with a health situation because of COVID, I want you to know that you are not alone. 
that Emmanuel says that God is with you. He is with you right there in the pain. He is with you right there in the, in the, in the sickness. And when we see human bodies sometimes teetering on a knife edge, we know that Jesus Christ is good and the Lord is there. He is there with us. And we cannot control outcomes, but we know that He holds the future and we can trust in Him. So whatever situation you found yourself in, my friends, I want you to hold on to Jesus because He identifies with you. He knows what you're going through. You are not alone. He has gone through everything to show you that He cares, to show you He's been there before and He will not leave you alone. Amen? Let's look on over to the next thing. We are barreling towards the end. I just want to pray. Can you give us a moment to pray? Father, I just want to pray for every member of our church, everyone who is signed in to the call, representing everyone in the family behind us um, um, who are not in here with us right now. Father, I just want to pray that uh, you will give us strength to know that you are with us. You will give us clarity of, of conviction in our hearts that you are in the deepest pain and when we see financial black holes we know that you are bigger than that and you have seen you have gone through similar black holes in your life and you are our king and we can trust you father when we see human bodies being being attacked by virus lord god and and bringing a human body uh, uh, um, uh, to struggle uh, to to perform as it used to father in jesus name we just want to trust you and believe you that you yourself saw your own body lord god struggle to stay alive on this side of the earth but then we remember the resurrected body of jesus coming alive in full might and in full power. And today, sometimes you dispense that healing resurrection power to those who are alive. And for some of us, you call us home. But either way, we know and trust that God is with us until the very end because you made yourself both fully God and fully human. It's not 50-50, it's 100-100. You are fully God, fully man, and you have given us power of God in the way you inhabited man today, man to man, we access the power of the risen King. So Father, I want to thank you that one day you will resurrect our bodies the way you resurrected the body of Jesus and that you are one with us, among us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sorry, that was not planned. I did not think, but I just felt that it was the right thing to do for us to just take a moment and just pray for those of us who are struggling with needs. Now, at the end of all this, what do we inherit? We inherit an eternal gift. Sons inherit an eternal gift. And when I say sons, I repeat, it is sons and daughters. It is the children inherit eternal gift. But, but the text says sons. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at, this, at the text right here. Verse 16. Thus says the Lord God, that's Adonai Yahweh. If the prince makes a gift to any of his sons as his inheritance, it shall belong to his sons. Meaning, it's, they be, it belongs in perpetuity. It is theirs. It is their property by inheritance. Perpetually theirs. Verse 17. But if he makes a gift out of his inheritance to one of his servants, it shall be his to the year of liberty. Remember, we talked about year of Sabbath, the year of liberty. After seven years, everything gets reset, right? Ah, unfortunately for those who identify as servants, the gifts that the prince gives also gets reset. Okay? Then it shall revert to the prince. It goes back to the prince, right? Surely it is the prince's inheritance. It shall belong to his sons. Okay. Now, we know that this never took place in the actual pre-Christ Judeo-Israeli land. It never took place. There was never a temple. There was never a pre prince. There was never uh, um, within that, that, that slavery system of the day. None of this took place. So, it's got to have some meaning for us today. It's got to have a figurative meaning for us today. So what is that figurative meaning? Let's put a fire underneath. Let's boil away all the metaphors and let's see what is left, right? In terms of its meaning, what's there for us to take home. 
My friends, if you identify as a son, you get a gift that lasts forever. If you relate to God as a child, as a daughter of God, you are precious daughter of God, you are a precious son of God, if you identify and relate to God as a child, as having his DNA, you inherit an inheritance, a gift that lasts forever. But if you relate to him like a servant, and all you see of him is a master who gives you instructions and then you eco perintah, I'm not saying that there is no element of servitude in sonship, but there can be no element of sonship in pure servitude. You see? You see, you see the difference? So my friends, if you relate to him only in the capacity of a servant and you can go and do all kinds of things, you can do all kinds of things because he gives you an inheritance that has an expiration date, but within that period of having that gifting, you know what? Quite possibly, you could do quite incredible things during that span of time. You could cast out demons during that span of time. You could end up leading mega churches in that span of time. You may have an anointing that is so powerful that so many people come and are drawn to you. You may have an anointing to, for healing. You may have an anointing for even raising the dead. You may have an anointing to all kinds of incredible signs and wonders in your ministry by virtue as a servant of receiving a gift with an expiration date. And before it expires, it looks great. It can look so good. And then one day, all these guys, God forbid it's not us, will go before the king and say, Lord, look, didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I heal the sick? Didn't, I, did, didn't, didn't my preaching make much of the church? And didn't so many people come and become part of your kingdom? And Messiah will say, who are you? I don't know servants. I only know sons. And then he will say those dreaded words that none of us hope to ever hear away from me. Stay away from me. Don't come near me. Right? And there is a picture of this, you know. Just now we saw that later you're going to see, I'm going to show you, but, but put a bookmark on this. Away from me. Don't come near me. Right? We're going to see this in a moment. But you see this. My friends, relate to God as a child. Relate to Him as a father. In John chapter 14, it says that, John chapter 14, chapter 15, gosh, that is such a beautiful passage. It's not even in the screens, but I want to encourage you to go back and look because he says that now that we are in this, we are no longer just servants, we are sons. Yeah, because the servant doesn't know the mind of the master. The servant doesn't know the strategies and thinking and, and, and the thoughts and the plans of the, uh, of, of the master. But sons have DNA. Sons have ownership. Sons and daughters have ownership in the kingdom. Let all of us think like children of God so that as children of God, we know the mind of the Father and let us inherit a much better gift. And you know what that gift is? It's here on your screens right now. That gift is Jesus himself. It's Jesus himself. He says in Ezekiel 44, so progressive, may I tell you, Ezekiel is so maju, right? So maju. You would think the Old Testament will tell you that the gift is some physical thing and then the New Testament makes it more high-res, right? You would think that, right? But you know what? There are just some moments in Ezekiel where he is already seeing something so high-resolution that it continues to baffle me. Like, wow, wow, it was that. Like, remember the day when I, when I showed you that, wow, we could already see in Ezekiel God saying that I want to, 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 to uh, uh, circumcise your heart. I was like, wow, I thought that circumcised the flesh was Old Testament. I thought that circumcised the heart is a New Testament thing. So it goes from low rest to high rest. I thought it was like that. But no, Ezekiel is so maju. He already saying circumcise the flesh from Ezekiel's time. In fact, I showed you even from Deuteronomy, he was saying it. So it's like totally consistent with God. Now, here we see another thing. You would think that the inheritance is a crown of glory. You would think the inheritance is, is that is you get a mansion in heaven. You would think the inheritance is streets paved with gold. 
some kind of tangible external thing, right? Some barang, right? Some that you would think their inheritance is like shares in like in like some huge, you know, God counter, you know? You would think that. But it's not. He is so progressive. He says, I am their inheritance. I, you don't want any, all, all these things without me is worthless. A crown is worthless without me. Streets of gold is worthless without me. I am your inheritance, Israel. Oh, priests of Israel, it's me. I am the one you want. If you get me, you get everything. You don't need anything else. You don't need to add streets paved with gold to make me as an inheritance more precious. I shall be their possession. And it says there in John chapter 14, right? In my father's house, many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? I'll go and prepare a place for you. Sounds at this stage that he's preparing a mansion or at least a room in the mansion for us. And it sounds like, great. Oh, wow. The inheritance is a house, right? It's property, landed property, good, good real estate in heaven. Wow, we're all looking forward to real estate in heaven. Hey, come on, guys, we're not looking forward to real estate in heaven. You know why? Because verse 3 says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to that real estate. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I will come again and I will take you to myself. Jesus himself is that great reward. We are not doing this earthly thing so that we can inherit some barang. Barang will be nice. It's just a superfluous barang. Like, like, I don't mean to make small of it, but you know what? Compared to Jesus himself, everything else is bonus. Like, everything else is an accessory. And some days, I want to help you to de-accessorize Jesus so that you can see that the most important thing is that you inherit Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, and when you can think that way, you can literally worship and sing, Christ is enough for me, everything I need is in you. And that includes the crown, and that includes the streets, and that includes everything, right? And with that, my friends, I want to take you to the last point. The last point says that the prince is looking for Zadok-type priests. Every single one of us is our priests. In the past, a certain group, Levites, are priests. And today, God says that we are, we are a royal priesthood, right? A holy nation. Today, every single one of us, because of the work of Jesus, because of our identification with Him and His identification with us, everything I shared today, because of His sacrifice, our identification, because of that today, every single one of us are priests. There is no middleman between us and God anymore. There is just direct line to God. All of us are priests. But, let's look at the slide. It says, the Levites who went far from me, going astray from me after their idols, when Israel went astray, shall bear their punishment. In other words, all of the priests who abandoned me, don't come near me. It's a bit like when a lover is spurned by another lover, right? A is spurned by B, and B tries to go and like sayang A, and A goes, don't touch me. Like, don't even come near me. You make me sick. Right? It's like that, right? Okay? And it says here in verse 13, they shall not come near to me. Don't come near me. Don't serve me as a priest. Don't come near any of my holy things. Just stay far away. Wow. Hey, friends, I hear this. I scared. Oh. Okay? But you look at the, the, the right-sided column. But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the people of Israel went astray, they shall come near me. They shall come near me. So who are these Zadoks? Who are the sons of Zadok? King David had a priest, and Zadok was his priest. Hang on for this first. King David experienced two rebellions by his sons. The first rebellion was from his son called Absalom. And during Absalom's rebellion, David's priests were Abiatha and Zadok. His military leader, his commander of the army was Joab. 
His chief counsellor was Ahitophel. In this time, Ahitophel broke from David and went to support the rebellion under Absalom to provide counsel for Absalom. One deserter, one person didn't stay faithful, left. And over time, it almost even seemed at one point that Absalom's rebellion was going to, to succeed. And of course, there's a lot of intrigue and a great story there. You can go and look at it in 2 Samuel 15. But somehow or other, Absalom died in battle. Joab killed him. Actually, David told him, don't kill, but Joab killed him, right? And then the kingdom was restored back to David. Fast forward X number of years later, the next son, Adonijah, rose up to, to, to rebel against his father, David, as well. Now, this time, Abiathar switched camps. Joab switched camps. So that Adonijah now enjoyed two of his father's top honchos supporting him. Who was left with David? Sadok the priest. Is this a new name for you? If it is, remember, Zadok means the last one. Stay faithful till the end. Zadok gives you a picture of the priest who would not stop serving his king. Today, every one of us are called by Ezekiel 47, 48 to be the Zadok type priest who will serve our king until the very end. So let's look at the next slide and we're closing. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, says Jesus, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures till the end will be saved. Come on church, let us endure till the very end. Let us endure till the very end. So may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of us until we meet again and all of God's people triumphantly shout aloud, Amen! Amen!